You're listening to Boston Strongcast, a place where we talk all things powerlifting, strength, and the occasional scientific nerd session. I'm your host, Kevin Can, the owner of Precision Powerlifting Systems, strength coach and competitive powerlifter in the USAPL. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get stronger together. Hey guys, this is Kevin Kim with Boston Strongcast. Um, I'm going to do a little solo episode today. It's been a while since I've um, since I've done a podcast. I think it's been a few weeks. Uh, so, like one of the things that I've been currently working on is just kind of like analyzing our programs and seeing where we could do better. So, one of the um, one of the biggest issues with our program, I think, is how light our rep days are so we have the max effort days at the beginning of the week and every other week our day three has a max effort deadlift in there but all of the other rep work tends to be pretty light it probably averages out more between 60 and 70 percent than higher um, but one of the things that i was realizing is is with the bench press especially like during earlier phases with the two bench days are spaced pretty far apart um, when we're doing our day four bench rep work i've just like organically allowed it to kind of grow so there's now probably close to a third of the group that's hitting 85% for five by four at a pretty relatively low RPE of like around an RPE eight. And we're seeing a lot more like bench PRs by doing this. And during some of the conversations that I've had with Louie, he was, um, he was explaining to me that we're just not in shape enough to be hitting those heavier weights. And he made a good point. Cause he said that like the majority of the, of the, uh, repetition work in a Russian program tends to fall between that 70 to 85% range. Um, and it got me, it got me thinking. Cause so like I started going back and like analyzing, like one of the things that I was constantly looking at was making sure we could get our quality max effort days in there. And because to me, that is the most important piece of training, right? Like that specificity, the specificity of the heavy singles. However, from my own experience, so I've been doing not so much the last few weeks, um, but for about a year, I was doing nothing but singles alone. So during that period of time, one of the, uh, the things that I learned were my squat actually got better. Um, so I was able to hit an all-time PR on the squat, and that was pretty good to see. My deadlift numbers kind of stabilized. So there was a period of time where and this has always kind of been the case for me over the years is my deadlift would kind of have these huge fluctuations in training. So, uh, just did a virtual deadlift competition back in, I want to say it was like around June and I missed 565. Now my best deadlift is 615. I, I haven't missed a deadlift. I mean, I had hit 570 raw. Um, maybe the year before can't remember when I actually hit it. Um, but I had hit 570 Ross. So it was a very odd miss to me. And I, you know, quarantine was happening. I wasn't really deadlifting very heavy. Didn't really have the option to deadlift heavy much at the time. So of course that plays a role in it, but I was squatting and stuff too. And my strength probably should have been a little bit better at the time. Um, but I started being able to get back into the groove of getting back into the singles and stuff. And what I saw, so before my meet, when I started getting into the equipment, I was taking a lot of singles because I was struggling to do reps in the gear. I was just, 
I was out of position trying to learn the technique. And I understand that like, Oh, the second one feels better than the first and all that. I just wasn't experiencing that the same way as what others had. So for me doing a lot more singles seemed to make a lot more sense. And I was able to get better technique. I went eight for nine on my meet. I ended up hitting a six fifteen deadlift. But after that period, after that point where I hit that deadlift, and this was about six to eight weeks out from my competition, I never hit that six fifteen again. The most I had hit was five ninety, which was at my meet. So there was a big drop off in performance after that six fifteen. I've never hit it since. So outside of the little break during quarantine, maybe for like a month or so period of time, I uh six weeks. I wasn't able to really take singles in, uh, during that period. I got back into taking the singles. And my deadlift, I got to the point where 585, I can kind of hit under any circumstance. So I could be really tired and still hit 585. I'd hit 595 with probably a little bit more in the tank. Um, but I've never hit that 615 again. So it did stabilize my deadlift numbers quite a bit um, in those like upper 500s, which really helped. But I just, I, I was at a point where I wasn't sure you know, I could keep training and maybe something would occur afterwards. I kind of feel like I was kind of like just stuck. Uh, but my squat did get a, a little bit better. My bench has been all over the place since. Um, part of it is I'm trying to learn a new shirt. Um, but I still have never hit. I hit 380 before my competition. Um, maybe like four to six weeks before my competition. I've never hit that weight again. I've hit it to a one board, but I've never touched it again. Um, so my bench has just not responded well to the single to just the singles and the lower volume stuff but you know it is what it is um but there were so like my work capacity is definitely low uh and i do i, I feel like i'm at this point now where i'm just kind of stuck like i'm outside of like my squat going well i am i'm just kind of like stuck and I'm not even sure how much better my squat can get by just doing the singles. And I know like going into it, I knew there was, you know, there's a reason why powerlifters don't just do singles and then go home. Like if that was the case, I would have figured that back out in the 1960s. So I wasn't doing this with the hopes that it would just like make my total blow up. I was doing it to try to understand what role the singles play and what role volume plays. So three years of working of being coached by Shaco, I kind of, I've done the high frequency, high volume stuff. I know what it feels like. I, I've gone through that process. So just completely stripping it down to nothing but singles and just kind of feeling it out. Um, you know, I learned quite a bit. I learned quite a bit about the recovery um, of the heavy singles, the psychological arousal, how that affects things. Um, how to use accommodating resistance to decrease loads and positions that tend to be a little bit, tougher biomechanically that definitely helped um i was able to overload my deadlift with racks and pins and that you know the change in range of motion definitely helps the recovery of the lift like there are a number of things that i definitely learned through this process um i would say more so psychologically and recovery wise than anything else um, but i am at a point where i'm not sure there's a lot more i can keep doing and actually progress my lifts uh, I kind of feel like I'm I'm stuck on the deadlift and the bench. Uh, the squat, I probably could squeak out a little bit more, maybe, um, because it's been going pretty well. But I just don't, at this point, I just don't think that it's really worth it. And after that talk with Louie, and he you know, brought up that, I think he said 75 to 85%. 
Uh, but if you look at a lot of the Russian texts, it's 70 to 85. Um, so I decided to go back and I looked at a lot of our programs and then I decided to go back and look at like my old programs with Shaco just to try to get some creativity, I guess, for our rep work and to think about stuff a little bit differently and to put some more thought into what we're doing with those, with those second days of lifts. So one of the, um, one of the things that Shaco was really good at was his ability to manage training stress in a way that just allowed constant variation, but he controlled the training stimulus so well that you just never really felt too banged up. You could always get the work done. So the way that he would break it up is he would have high, medium, and low stress training days, high, medium, low stress um, training weeks. And he would also have prep and comp cycles. And during the comp cycle, the last four weeks, you'd see a pretty, the average intensity would stay relatively the same, but the volume would drop off significantly. So, and his volumes, like there were enough days that were above baseline, but then there were enough days below baseline and at baseline that just allowed you to kind of constantly have that stimulation and the variation in training, but not, not to get too beat up, like I was saying. So when I look at our programs, a lot of our weights are between 60 and 70%. So we're just, our average intensities are much lower than what he would recommend. And at first I was willing to make that sacrifice because I wanted to get those singles in there. But at the same time, I'm not necessarily sure that that's the best way to do it because of how low our average intensity gets. So the fact that the Russians had this, you know, between 70 and 85% of one RM, the majority of the work should be completed within that range. It really got me thinking because we're, we're kind of missing the mark there. And I don't think you can disregard all of the research that they did to come up with these periodization models. Like, they collected a lot of data, did a lot of research, and of course, whether their good stuff got published in those books or not, or they withheld stuff, it's still a great starting point. And there's a reason why so many people speak about having the weights within those ranges. So the majority of the programs out there will have the majority of their weights within those those ranges. I mean, that's just that's just kind of how it goes. Um, so. You know, and the other thing, too, that I think worked really well in his programs, and it's something that I've started to, like, really start to understand the greater the amount of experience I get within this sport, is their long-term training plan, right? So I've spoken about this in much earlier podcasts, and I've written about it, too, how the Russians use the Russian classification system. So you'd have your class three, class two, class one, candidate for master of sport master of sport master of sport and international competition so there's this range from like lower class lifter all the way up through the international competition so the master of sport of international competition um, is where the volume will start to decrease and it becomes much much more individualized but everybody else moving up it's not as quite it's not quite as individualized it's more kind of these like broad ranges of volumes with average intensities and number of lifts um, that are kind of thrown on this on this chart and, you know, I've said this a lot on the podcast too, that like 
you know, the first three years, first five years of lifting, you can just do whatever the fuck you want and you're going to get better because you're a beginner and it doesn't really matter as much. But at some point, once you get enough training age underneath you, it's going to matter a lot more. And I do think those like broad def- definitions of volumes works perfectly fine for the majority of the population. Like, don't get me wrong. There are probably outliers. So even by definition, like a master of sport international competition is a lifter that is competitive in international competition. But there's a paradox when you look at powerlifting within the United States anyways. Um, there are a lot of lifters that have five or less years of experience that are competing at international competitions. So the explosion of raw lifting back in 2013 has just got more people into the sport and there's more freaks or outliers, whatever you want to call them that are getting into the sport and they're just starting with a higher baseline. So like for me, when I first started lifting, I weighed under 180 pounds and I couldn't even squat 300 pounds. So let's say just for sake of argument, let's say the first time in the gym, I weigh 175 pounds and I'm squatting 275 pounds. That's my, that's where I'm starting. That's my starting point. Right. But then you take others and there's quite a few who have been competitive at the international level with less than five years of experience who weigh in at the same weight, but they're squatting almost 500 or over 500 pounds at their first competition. So they're starting at just a much higher rate. Now, our level of growth over a period of time might be the same, but that 500-pound squatter is now squatting 600. And even though I was squatting 275 at the time, I'm now squatting 500, right? There's, you know, my level of progress may have even been a little bit, a little bit quicker because I've stayed healthy. I've had good coaching along the way between Shaco and Hartman and learned a lot from them and have applied a lot of the things that I learned from them into my own training. And I've... I don't, I haven't really missed any training days um, for injury or anything else. So I've been able to train consistently and build a solid base over that period of time. And it's allowed to good, solid growth. Now I had such good growth and it's slowed down. And now I'm at a point where it tends to move very, very slowly. And then I end up having big jumps. Um, so the, that's just an interesting thing for how my lifts tend to work. Um, and that, could be too in the way that I'm programming my lifts. Um, but one of the things that I like when you look at the Russian chart is it grows with the lifter. So those general volumes, yeah, for the first 10 years of lifting in a sport, like you're building a base, you're still, you know, the beginner to intermediate. Um, and when you look at a lot of, like when you talk to a lot of these more elite lifters that have broken world records and been around a long time, a lot of them took over 10 years before they broke their first world record. So they had all of this training under their belt. So even like somebody like Hartman, who was very competitive in his early 20s, he started lifting at 13. So even then, there's 10 years there. And like these stories are just all the time. You hear these same things like, what age did you start? And it's like, oh, I started lifting weights at 12 or 13. I really didn't start lifting weights. I mean, I did casually in high school but when you play soccer you tend to play in a lot of teams it's it's one of those that like 10,000 hour rule does kind of apply in a sport like that especially a sport where athletes tend to peak at younger ages so it's getting as much time between the white lines as humanly possible so at times I was playing on three different teams in the same season plus I played basketball and soccer too so I was getting a lot of exposure not just to different levels of soccer but also to different levels of sport in general and I just didn't have a ton of time uh, to be in the weight room now with that said 
I developed good strength. Like I didn't get knocked off the ball much. Um, <laughs> I never, I was able to kind of use my body well in basketball. I was quick. I didn't have like great handling or I was like, I wasn't, I was an average basketball player at best, but I was able to be a little bit more physical for my size, even though I only weighed at the time in high school, 150, 100 to 160 pounds, somewhere in that range. But I was able to use my body very well. Like I learned how to use that leverage. And I think it's just from all the time from playing sport. Then after that, after, you know, I played college soccer, we lifted in college. So I had some exposure there, but like with the soccer team, we lifted two to three times a week. And for the majority of the time, it was twice a week. And it wasn't anything like crazy. It was more like, some front squats and trap bar deadlifts deadlifts occasionally but it was more like single leg stuff like lighted lighter loading stuff um which was fine but i probably could have benefited from some strength and conditioning uh with some heavier weights but i didn't get that so then i get out of college i start doing the the fighting stuff and wrestling more and clinching and pushing and pulling against other humans and i developed a different kind of strength like when you're in there and you're wrestling with other people and doing that and clinching and doing all of that stuff, you just, you learn how to use leverages. They were, most of them were bigger than me. So just kind of like you're pushing and pulling against bigger, stronger people at times you get bigger and stronger just from doing that. Um, so that's when I kind of got up to about 180 pounds and I did that for about 10 years. And in the gym, then it was probably similar to what I was doing with college soccer where it was just some like single leg stuff occasionally doing some, I like doing some like speed and agility stuff on the turf, having fun, doing some broad jumps, depth jumps, stuff like that. So a lot of like plyometric type stuff, but mostly just like body, body weight stuff and some like front squats and everything. So when the fact that I was working at a gym now that was very geared towards powerlifting, it piqued my interest a little bit, like watching the guys in canvas suits squatting a shitload of weight. Like that was fucking cool to see. And it's like, hey, I, I could see myself doing that. And, but I was still doing, like, the fighting stuff three times a week, just, like, recreationally, having fun, like, doing that type of stuff. And I just liked doing that stuff more. Um, but when that came to an end, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start training for powerlifting. And I signed up for a meet and everything, and I hadn't squatted in a fucking long I, – honestly, I couldn't even tell you when I when I ever put a bar on my back to squat, you know, I think the first time I really did that, I was 31 years old and, you know, when probably 175 pounds, give or take at the time, you know, my best squat. I mean, when I started, it might've even been less than 275, but let's say it was like 275. I just, I didn't have a lot of background in doing that stuff. I'm strong in different ways. And like, you know, somebody who had lifted weights for a long time, if we wrestled, like you would feel my true strength. And like, obviously there's a skill level and a leverage, like you understand leverages and stuff there, but you would feel how strong I am in those, in those types of uh, positions. So, you know, me starting at 275, but then you get somebody who lifted weights from the time that they were 12 and up to being 21, 22 years old, and they're squatting 500 pounds, like at the same body weight or something. Like there's just a a big difference in starting point. So of course I get a lot more beginner gains and and everything else. But like for me to catch up to somebody like that is is going to be very hard, if not near impossible, because the gap is is so different, but it's something that requires you to take patience and go through the process and the long-term process. You don't just periodize your 
programs every four weeks. Like there's got to be some long-term planning in there. And it's something that I've really struggled, struggled with and like kicked around different ideas and, you know, trying to understand how important long-term planning is. But then I think of the Russian system and this is where I think it becomes important is the three years I worked for Shaco, my number of lifts and average intensity never changed. I was the same class of lifter, basically, you know, class one to class three lifter. You know, I started obviously class three and worked up, um, but the recommendations were about the same. So my number of lifts never really changed. The average intensity never really changed. I would test, get new numbers, and then cycle back through. And when I would test, he would tell me what to put on the bar. So he would put 102.5% or 105%, whatever he felt, and I was supposed to stop there. So it's just these small increases. And then you cycle back through the program. You get used to those new numbers. Small increases again. Cycle through the program. Get used to those uh, new numbers work up to a new classification level. Your volumes will increase a little bit. Same thing. You just kind of keep repeating the process over a course of a career. So like for me, I've now been lifting, I think 2014, I did my first meet around now. Um, so I've been lifting for about six years. I've gained about 50 pounds of body weight, you know, and of course my numbers have gone up. Um, my bench really, I guess, hasn't gone up a ton over that period of time. Um, I did get in this shirt and haven't really focused on raw benching quite as much, but it's gone up 45, 50 pounds, maybe over six years, which isn't a ton. Um, my squat's gone up over 200 pounds. My deadlift has gone up about 200 pounds, 190 pounds or something. So, I've had good incremental pro progress over time. Like when you actually like zoom out, you can look at it. And it's like one of those looking back, it's like, yeah, right. Well, I had these periods of time where I had a shitty attitude and brought that into the gym and would get frustrated all the time, but it always, work it always works out in the end. So I don't even know where I was going with that, but I think, I, th I do think it's real. It's relevant to this conversation because I think lifters have a hard time. Sometimes they look at things in such small windows. So if you compete twice a year, everything's just viewed through a six month window. And this lifter that I have competing um, on the 24th, it's absolutely has a positive attitude about everything. I mean, she's looking at a total PR. So it's not like it's a, uh, and always lost scenario, but I'm going to pretend that the situation is a little bit different. So let's pretend that none of her lifts had gone up, but her bench has gone up. Her squat is moving better at the same weight than it's ever moved before. And her, her deadlift, the technique looks a lot better and the numbers are right there too. Um, and if she puts everything together on the platform, there's a nice five or seven and a half kilo total PR and she's psyched about it in a good headspace and everything. But let's pretend. So she competed at the Arnold, weighed in about 70 kilos. We're competing on the 24th at 67 and a half kilos, 24-hour weigh-in. So makes it even easier to do that. Um, but you're going to be able to put up the same total, let's say, at a slightly lower body weight. That's a PR, right? Um, the technique looking better. That's a PR. So now if you're executing the same numbers, but they look better. They're moving a little bit better. Those are PRs. Um, you know, they're, 
if you've never put your nine best lifts together on the platform, but you do that that day, that equates to a total PR, right? That's a PR. So like, there's all these other things that like you could focus on for the positive outlook. And sometimes you might go into a meet, man, the bench is the only thing that's really going well. I want to go out and get that bench PR, right? You go and you get that bench PR. Like that's still a win on that day. Like it's finding those small wins in those competitions. But if you look at it from such a small window like a six-month window it might not seem it's like oh man you know my bench went up five pounds but i'm hitting that five pound increase more consistently than i was hitting the five pounds less before like it just it's hard to see that sometimes and the fact that now you know 181 when she had hit that at the meet it was a grind it's one of those you really just weren't too confident it was like a hit or miss whether it would be there or not but now 185 pounds she hits under any circumstance she's hit probably more than a half a dozen times in training at this point and hasn't missed it in this cycle. So it's a very stable weight. So the fact that five pounds more is more stable than five pounds less was, that's a huge, that's a huge increase. You know, and same thing. She's hit 363 and missed 363 on and off at meets for the last year or so, right? Same thing. 365, it was hard, but it moved pretty easily. Like, much easier than it has in the past. So the fact that it's probably a little bit more stable now is a really good sign. Um, in the deadlift, we really worked on the sumo, like loading the hips, learning how to arch the back, building up the good mornings. So now she did 85% for a four by one today. So it was like 353. And her back was arched. Everything's moving together. It was a very technically sound deadlift at a weight that's, you know, 50 pounds or so less than her competition best. That's really good to see because that was not happening before. So we're seeing, and the hips were coming through at the top instead of the back being round off the floor and then leaning back hard. We're getting the hips coming through at 353 pounds, which two years ago when we started together, that was her best deadlift. So now she, you know, two years later, you're looking at it and it's like you're hitting your best deadlift with really good technique at this point from two years ago with really good technique at this point. And it's a deload week, basically, you know? So like when you look at it from a larger picture, and even then when you extend out for this same lifter she's put in the two years 30 kilos on her total and for somebody who's competing at the arnold's um, and putting up some pretty big numbers that's some really good increase over a two-year period 15 kilos a year is really good so you know when you step back and like i said like the reason why she sees this progress too is because she has such a positive mindset and understands how the training process goes and don't get me wrong there's frustrations at times and we have those conversations but she quickly moves on from the frustrations and is able to move forward and that's why she sees such good progress um is because she can pick up on these little wins she understands that like hey you know so let, let's pretend that 355 was her best squat that day and it's like man it's 10 pounds under my best but i know i can hit that under any circumstance it looks really good my shin angles improved i'm faster out of the hole i feel more stable feels lighter on my back like she's one of those that can pick up on that like hey even though it's a little less now there's so many positive things happening to this that it's going to get better and i know it's going to get better i just got to hit this number now move on, get back to training, and we'll build off of this. And it's the right attitude to have, and that's why she's so successful at doing this. Um, but me as a coach, I got to be able to, you know, you can't just chalk it up to, oh, it will get better, right? So getting back to what I was talking about before, it's understanding that long-term process of the sport and being patient 
but also at the same time being analytical and understanding kind of the qualities you need to be training within the sport to get better. So, you know, there's not a lot of good research out there that I think we should be looking at. Um, they tend to be short term. They tend to start at high reps and taper into more specific, heavier singles. So to me, that doesn't really tell us a whole lot. Like I think a lot of the strength and condition research is just absolute fucking garbage. I even had, you know, this 25 year old that's moderately strong that has never coached anybody to any amount of success whose technique kind of sucks in the lifts. Tell me that, you know, the gold standard of biomechanical research when it comes to technique is this study here. This study looked at 10 competitive weightlifters at an average age of 26, average body weight of 200 pounds, and an average squat of 363 pounds. The person sharing this article actually squats more than the average person in this in this study. I don't really care what those weaker people are doing. Like to me, that doesn't tell me a whole lot. What I like to do is, this is why I have one, a network of coaches that disagree with me at times um, to help give me different perspectives. This is why I had hired Boris Shaco in the beginning when I started powerlifting and I started coaching powerlifting to help me out. So for three years, I learned from somebody with the highest level of experience in this sport and a lot of that experience. And I don't think any, if somebody was like Boris Shaco is the greatest coach in powerlifting, it's hard to argue against that. Um, in the history of the sport, he's up there in those names, you know, somebody else might say Louie or whatever, but he's going to be mentioned in those names as one of the greatest ever do. And I was fortunate enough to spend three years underneath him doing that. I almost went and got a PhD or my doctorate of physical therapy, which would have taken three years. And that three years spending under him was much more of an educational process than doing any of that stuff. And I'm, I'm happy I made that. I made that choice. So what I like to do is to learn from those ones. So like I've had three phone conversations with Louie. I'm going to go out to Columbus. And I'm going to train with the group for a period of time. Um, you know, the coaches that I talk to, I, I want people who've been in the sport for a prolonged period of time to give me their insights. Because to me, that teaches us a hell of a lot more than some six-week study on 26-year-old, 200-pound men that can't even squat four plates. Like, I don't give a fuck what they're doing in the gym or what their technique looks like or any of that stuff. I care what the best who have ever done it, what they tell me to do. Like, even if science hasn't proven what they're doing to be right, it hasn't proven it to be wrong because the results that they've gotten, there's something there. And it's our job to kind of figure out what's there and to move on. Um, so what I like to do is I reread texts all the time. So with the Patreon channel, I'm kind of going through super training and putting PowerPoints together and doing presentations on each chapter. It's just a way that forces me to read it again. I've probably read it a handful of more times in my life. Sciences and practices, same thing. Even like the book of methods, same thing. Uh, squat every day, same thing. Like all of these things that I read previously and had general ideas about when I finished reading them, I go back and I read them again now with a different perspective and more wisdom and experience and education underneath me at this point to gain a different perspective. Another thing I like to do is periodically I go back through my programs that I did with Shaco and I look at them through a different, that, that same lens of having more education underneath me, more experience. I've now coached hundreds of power lifters. So the fact that I've coached hundreds of people by this point, 
um, and think of the thousands and thousands of lifts that I've I've looked at, I've reviewed, I've analyzed, I've critiqued, I've worked on and gone through that process, like being able to go back and like, look at these things. Now I definitely see some different things. So one of the things that I really want to be able to do again, and back to where I had started with this podcast is I want to be able to make our other days, they have to be between 70 and 85%. And one of the first things that pops into my mind is Shaka would use like pauses or some type of variation using a comp stance, comp grips, all of that stuff. Um, and he would use lighter loads at times to make them feel heavier. So occasionally I might have a three second pause squat at 65% for some triples, um, which probably makes it more feel more like 70 to 75% for a comp squat. Um, he would use me, he, he would let me, he would program me 70% quite a bit with like 40 pounds of chain or mini bands on the deadlift. So a very little amount of accommodating resistance, but it would put in that 75 to 80% range. Um, so, and same thing, pausing a squat, maybe some pause squat doubles at 75% or triples with three second pause at 75% on the bench it makes that intensity a little bit heavier. So it gets it into that 80, 85% range. So he was very good at using lighter loads, but within those same 70 to 85% ranges to get the training intensity he was looking for to drive adaptation. Like I was saying before, I don't think there's anybody better at being able to alternate training stress. Like there's this like ability he has to intermingle high, medium and low stress training days and weeks and months and, into a program that just allows you to kind of train continuously over time, stay healthy and, and push the progress. So it's something I really wanted to review because I need to get better with this, especially with the singles in there. It throws a little bit of a curveball because of the amount of recovery time needed when you're actually really maxing out on lifts. And the fact that unlike Westside, we do a, a max effort on a day three every other week. So making sure that I get our volumes in there, and one of the things that like really came to mind, like let's just in terms of training volume, he would have high, medium and low weeks within a four week period of time. So one of the things that I do with it is if we have max effort squat day one, then bench max effort day two and deadlift max effort day three. That's just a lower volume week. I'll then come back with the following week with a high volume week. So in that week there, we might do like a five by five squat instead of max effort, five by five bench instead of max effort. And then 25 more squats, 25 more deadlifts, 25 more bench press, right? So we're getting, I'm doing 25, just for very simple math here. But if we have squat, bench, deadlift, squat, there's a hundred reps, more bench in there. And there's probably back off bench stuff. We're getting about 150 lifts at 70% or greater in that one week. So that's a higher volume week for us. We're hitting our average intensities. We're in the, we're in the good spot where we're doing good things. And this is just something that I, I took from him and I kind of use in our programs now. So I can continue to do that. And I do a pretty good job of managing the intensity that I'm looking for and they put the RPs in there so that I can do that. But I do think the absolute load matters and what it might be telling us exactly what Louis said, we're just not conditioned enough to hit those bigger weights. And perhaps I got to do a better job of loading them on those days to build that up so that we can, or be more creative so that I'm getting the right intensity for the technique stuff, like making it more Shaco-esque. 
So one of the things that I did when I analyzed the programs that I was doing um, with him before is I took I took 13 weeks. So it was basically a comp cycle test and then nine weeks after that to another test. And then I competed on that 10th week. I thought this was just like a, a good sample of training days. So I first, I analyzed the reps at over 75%. Now I'm going to, for the 13 weeks, I'm going to, it's going to be hard because I'm doing a, a podcast here and you can't really see what I'm saying, but just follow along. Here are the squats done at over 75%. So this could be anywhere from 75 to 100%. Um, but I'm going to tell you right now, Outside of the test weeks for squat, I only had in these 13 weeks. So week 11, I had two singles at 90% on the squat. Outside of tests, I had zero reps at 90%. So those are the only times I had hit a 90% squat was week 11 for two singles. And then two weeks later, I tested. So it was part of a uh, comp cycle. So all of these reps were between 75 and 85% for the squat. So here we go. 16, 17, 15, test. Now after the test, 0, 0, 0, 26, 0, 26, 19, 15, test. All right. So what you see there is I had a pretty consistent number between 75 and 85% of the squat. So up to the first test. So this is a comp cycle. 16, 17, 15, test. And then after the test, he kind of deloaded me from those heavier weights. So that first, I had zero in that first week, but I had three second pause squats at 65%. And I had a lot of squats at 70%. So there might've been pauses with chains, squat pyramids. So in those three weeks, there was a lot of work at 70%, but nothing that got between 75 and 85%, zero reps. And then on the fourth week after that test, I had 26. So I had a double squat day on day one where I hit 85% for four doubles, benched, and then came back and hit 80% for four doubles. So right there alone, that's 16. I was getting in one day on that fourth week what I was getting um, for an entire week of squats uh, before the test in that comp cycle. And then I had five by 10 at 80% later in the week. There's the 26. So they were all between 80 and 85. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was a uh, two second pause squats, five by two, it's 75%. So it's a higher intensity, but there's the 26. And then I had zero lifts again, and then 26 again. So you kind of saw this low, 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 high, low, high, medium, medium test um, for the reps over 75%. So, but then again, when it came to the test, 19, 15 test, right? So it went, 26, 19, 15 tests. So you can see the decline that happened in volume leading up to the test. So it was letting some of that fatigue dissipate um, going in. So for the bench, let's do the same thing. It went 19, 28, 40 tests. So unlike the squat, we saw an increase in reps between 75 and 85%. Now, during that time, that entire time in those three weeks, I only did five reps on the bench press at 90% or greater. And that was with the slingshot or boards. So 19 out of that 19, two were at 90%. The 28, three were at 
and then when I had the 40 zero were so you can see as that volume goes up the 90% reps go down and you can't really get that volume at 90% the way that he does it then I had the test off of the test now I had the first week three at 90% that was with a slingshot so but 33 reps at over 75% 30 of those right were over 75% three of them were 90 the week after I had zero over nine zero at 90% or greater but 47 over 75 the week after that zero at 90 30 over 75 week after that I had four at 90 either with a border slingshot and then 35 and then I went 40 34 33 27 test okay so you can see that the bench gets a lot more reps at over 75 percent than the squat now in some cases it's about double that it's getting mostly it's around almost double what the um the squat is but when we add the deadlift in the bench and the I mean the squat and the deadlift added together kind of equal the bench but the deadlift listen to these numbers 22 12 6 test 8 14 24 12 19 19 12 8 test so the deadlift is very similar to the squat in some weeks and it's higher weeks it gets pretty close um, but overall in a four-week period of time it's going to be way less so there were you know, I understand there were zeros when I said for the squat, but I my volumes were very high at 70% on those weeks. Um, so I had a lot of 70%, like five by five with chains. I had a squat pyramid in there, which is 52 lifts, 42% of, I mean, 42 of them are at 70%. So the volume was very high um, in that period for the squats at 70% for the deadlift. This is just straight across the board. And a lot of it is he'll give me that day four deadlift day off um to let me recover but there were a lot of single digit deadlift weeks in there i mean right before the test there was a six right after the test there was an eight right before the next test there was an eight so there's a, the deadlift volume is way less but if we add up the deadlift volume, the deadlift in the squats it about equals the bench press now the interesting thing about the deadlift is i get more reps at 90 percent than the squat so in every four-week period of time, there's probably some 90% deadlift work in there or every four to six weeks, always off of blocks. So the fact that I was using blocks for all of this um, before the test, that change of range of motion changes the amount of effort needed for the lift because you're making the, the work less, the distance is less. Um, so the 90% work was done mostly on the deadlift. And when you look at it, it was about equal to the amount of 90% work done on the bench press. Again, with a slingshot or with a shortened range of motion. So when we look at the program in general, 75 plus percent makes up about 35 to 45% of my total volume when he was programming for me. When we bring 70% into the mix. So if you go 70% plus makes up between 60 approximately these are all approximations makes up between 65 and 75 percent of the total volume okay so two-thirds of the total volume is greater than is 70 percent or more but only 35 to 45 percent is that 75 percent now at 90 percent makes up less than five percent of the total volume 
So it's a very low percentage. So when you compare this to our programs, 90% makes up probably about five to 7% of our total volume because our variations put us. So if we're using a variation, we're going to go off of our competition maxes, puts us between 85 and 92% of one RM. So we're getting into that range a little bit more frequently. Um, but still, you know, not a ton more than what he did. He would just get them all on like one training day. So I might have 90% three by two deadlift off blocks. There's six singles. Um, and that might be the only 90% I do in an entire block four weeks for squats and deadlifts. Now I might in that same period hit 90, 90% on a squat, 80, let's say 85% on a deadlift week one, but then two weeks later I'm hitting, so we have one squat there. Two weeks later I'm hitting 92% on a squat and then I'm hitting 90% on a deadlift there's three right there in a three week period of time. And then maybe we do another variation the following week and you hit a, a fourth single at 90% or around there. So like they get close. The total number is very, very, very similar at the end of the day to how we do our max effort stuff. Our intensity though, because it's closer to failure has a higher recovery cost. So this is where that curveball kind of comes in. So I think what I need to do is I need to treat it more now we go up or lower and then the higher frequency stuff kind of kicks in towards the end of the week during some phases. So I need to just be better at, I think you can almost separate it. And I hate doing this because the, you can't really separate things in life. Right. But you have mechanical stress and metabolic stress. So the mechanical stress is kind of the singles. It doesn't really take up a lot of um, metabolic in, energy to do that. So as long as our volume is pretty low on those days, that's probably fine. Um, and then we could do stuff afterwards where that fatigue is going to be a little bit higher because you just maxed out. And then if I do some back down stuff, maybe that's where the two second pause at 65% or something can come into play more effectively. And then day off bench day off. And then on Friday, let's say they, they're going to squat and deadlift. Let's say we're in an earlier phase. Then I can use more higher volume stuff because they've gone, you know, Monday. So then they have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, completely off. And then Friday. So you're getting almost four days in between lower body efforts. Um, so on that day there, I could probably start adding in more heavier stuff. But what I could probably do is, I could do more volume on a squat perhaps and less volume on a deadlift afterwards and manipulate the intensities a bit where maybe the deadlift's done heavier or lighter, the squat's done heavier or lighter. So let's say for fun, let's say I want to bring back squat pyramids. I could do 70%. I could do a squat pyramid and there's 42 lifts, right? So we typically on that day get 50 lifts between the squat and the deadlift. So then maybe after that squat pyramid, we do 80% four by two deadlift off blocks. So we get a little heavier deadlift work. We're shortening the range of motion, which decreases the actual like real effort and 80% from blocks for doubles is pretty easy. But after that squat pyramid, it would be pretty tough, but there's our 50 total reps. So I could probably be a little bit more creative with how I use that total volume on those days. And make sure that I still get that same range of um, lifts in there. So, you know, if you think if I was doing 200 lifts in a week and my lifts would range 
between 150 and 200 lifts in a week. If 67%, you know, is going to be at 70% or more, you know, you're talking 135 ish lifts, 134 lifts, um, between all three. So if we go 134 and you divide that by two, we would need 67 bench press repetitions in there and then squat and deadlift added together to make the other 67. So that's on a 200 lift week, but because our intensity is slightly higher, our lifts can probably be a little bit under that. And we do a pretty good job. So that's why I wanted like from 75 to 85%, I wanted to see those numbers. So making sure we're getting 16 squats in that, during that, you know, 16, 17, 15, the most was 26. So we could alternate volumes, of course, each week, kind of like Chico did, where we can have higher weeks, lower weeks, medium weeks, whatever. So we got to figure out like baselines and stuff like that, that I, I still need to do. But to get that number of lifts in there and just be sure that we're getting that is probably not a problem at all. The problem is we probably don't get that now most of the time. Maybe half of the time we get that. So on a day we do singles, we're probably getting five to seven singles at 75% or more. Um, so on that max effort day, that's all we're getting, right? Five to seven. Then on the bench, we typically do back downs on the bench. So we're probably getting five to seven plus another 20, right? So we're probably getting pretty close to 30 on that day. So we're kind of in the range with bench. And then later in the week, we might get 20. Right. So let's even, yeah, let's say we get 25 and then 20, we're at 45. That matches my biggest week, which would be week seven. One, two, three, four, five. Week six, I had 47 lifts at 75% or more on the bench press. We're probably getting pretty close to that every single week. And remember what I said before, our bench has been going extremely well. So I think we're just in these ranges so well for bench press and kind of all over the place with squat and deadlifts that we just need to be more consistent in making sure our average intensities are where they need to be. And I can manipulate the volumes and what we're doing on those days in a way that just kind of allows us to get through the program without getting too banged up. So instead of, you know, I think I'm going to alternate the volumes and stuff of the squat and deadlift a little bit more than I have been for that load variability that Shaco speaks about being so important. Um, you know, and this is just my like general thoughts and I haven't even said this to PPS yet. This will be the first time anybody hears will be Alyssa editing this podcast. I'm going to add a fourth week into each wave as almost like a washout week where I might give them just three days, 80% for some doubles or something. And then we just move on that way just to make sure we have a lighter week in there. And it's just increasing our, our number of lifts to a, an adequate spot at like that, making sure we're getting that 80% range. Um, but almost as just like a, a lighter week. So I can really have the meat and potatoes in that three week wave fourth week, just be a little bit of a washout into the, into the next wave. Um, but for now, that's just kind of like where my thoughts are at. Um, yeah, you can follow along on Instagram. It's KWK and our team, Precision Powerlifting Systems. Stay strong, Boston. <laughs>